You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. I wanted to say something before I started. Uh, oh yeah, Westside 301. Now, one of my main jobs here at Westside Church is to raise up, train, equip, and release leaders. And so a lot of times people like yourself sitting in the seats go, I'm not a leader, I don't want to be elder, I don't want to be deacon. And uh, the truth is God has called most of you not to be elders or deacons. But he has called every believer to be a leader in their sphere of influence. How on earth could you possibly not be a leader when he's called you to be salt and light? He's called you to train and equip your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You're always leading the generation to follow. We have a leadership culture. In other words, I am an example. Like Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. We're always, always aware as believers that we have leadership upon us. And so with that being said, I love training uh, people with leadership. Many of you are leaders not in the church, but leaders in the world. You're business owners or managers or bosses or or entrepreneurs or whatever. Um, school teachers, you know, full charge nurses in charge of a bunch of people. Anybody who supervises and sees people like that, uh, parents, you're leaders. And so anyway, I love uh, training uh, leaders. And so this class, Westside 301, this is the first time I've ever done it in one day. Uh, so that's going to be a challenge. Uh, but at the same time, uh, you're all welcome to come. You just need to sign up. Please sign up. Uh, there is child care available um, for younger children, not like, you know, if they're 17 or something, uh, but, um, you know, for kids and nursery and child care up to fifth, fifth grade. Yeah. And so, um, and then there's also a meal afterwards where we'll share together in a meal. We'll meet right here at three o'clock this afternoon. So I encourage you to come. Uh, if you are planning on coming, but you've never signed up yet, please sign up so that uh, we can prepare um, for for the uh, uh, this afternoon. I just got, I'm getting two texts right here. I was kind of waiting from Fred in Paris. I said, we want to pray for you in church, so send me some prayer requests specifically we can pray for. So he goes, uh, sorry, I'm late, but here's some right now, but I'm not going to, I can't see him. So don't forget to uh, pray for Fred and Vanessa in Paris. This is an opportunity for their church to shine brightly. And, and you know, when a tragedy like that strikes uh, your nation, people are more um, ready to receive uh, the gospel. So please come to Westside 301 this afternoon. That, that's what that was about. We're in the uh, winding down on our series on authentic, uh, genuine, uh, 100% through and through. What does a real believer look like? We started last August in this series, and we've been going through the book of First John to highlight some things about authenticity, genuine faith. Uh, what uh, Paul and uh, John talk about our genuine faith. So on our website, it's really easy to go back. The whole series is there. You can go start back at the beginning if you want to do a study or ever do a Bible study at home with a few people. Those things are available. Uh, but next week is going to be the last Sunday. This is second to the last. And um, I just want to remind you from the beginning, just because a person sits in church week after week after week does not make them a believer. This is what we talked about in our introduction. A believer, an authentic Christian, has encountered Jesus. 
They are never the same after that. Just like you're not going to turn into a car if you sleep in your garage. All right? Just because you're located there, it is a heart change. It's an encounter with Almighty God, and you'll never, ever, ever, ever be the same. I can recall four or five instances in my life when I encountered Jesus and my life was never the same after that major pivotal points in my life when Jesus came and reached out and either slapped me upside the head or caused my heart to explode in worship and love for him, those kind of things. Some of you may not have those radical experiences, but one day you realize that line upon line, year after year, your faithfulness, your love for God grew, your deepening relationship with him grew, and all of a sudden, one time, just it was a revelation. I am sold out for Jesus. All right? But somehow, some way, you need an authentic believer is somebody who really, really loves Jesus. And so this is what that series was about. Now, the passage today, John covers a lot of those things that we've talked about. So I'm going to read this passage and then say, we talked about this, we talked about this, we talked about this. And so then we're going to highlight on two things uh, that are in this passage for today that an authentic believer is maturing, is growing, is moving forward. So in 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 9, God showed how much He loved us by sending His one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through Him. That's the gospel in a nutshell. And the verse to follow, it is amazing. Jesus came out of eternity, stepped into time and space so we could relate to God. We don't understand God. He's eternal. We're not. He's awesome. We're not. We are temporal. He is uh, uh, in, lives in, in this space called, uh, this place called eternity, and we can't even understand that because we're finite. We're, we're living the temporary. One day we will know. One day we'll see Jesus face to face. One day the, uh, the blindfolds will be ripped off. It's like we're looking in a foggy mirror. Guys, you try to shave with a foggy mirror, and that's what it's like looking into eternity right now. But one day that's going to be wiped clean. And so Jesus made a way for us to have a relationship with God. He died in our place on the cross. He suffered in our place. That's the good news. That's your story that you can tell your family and friends. This is real love. Verse 10. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Isn't that awesome? Before we knew Him, He made the first move. And we talked about, we had a whole talk on encountering Jesus. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. We had a talk on loving one another. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. We talked about discernment last week. That was our... Our, our talk last week. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. One of our talks was on testifying and proclaiming who Jesus is. All who confess that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them. All who confess that Jesus is the Son of God. How broad is this invitation? All who authentically say in their heart, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's come to take away the sin of the world. I have made him my Lord and Savior. He forgave my sin. He gave me hope. He gave me future. All. That, I love that. All. 
As we live in God, our love grows more perfect. We're going to talk about that word perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. Then we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. A believer has, uh, authentic believer has confident faith. We talked about one of our sessions. So love has no fear because perfect love casteth out all fear. Remember the King James? Here it says expels all fear. If we're afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. We spoke about demonstrating God's love toward others and toward the world. If someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. For we don't love pe- if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? We spoke about loving one another. And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their Christian brothers and sisters. We spoke about obedience to God's word. When we hear God's word, when we receive God's word, we are then accountable to it. We need to obey it. So uh, unpacking this, the part that we're going to talk about today is this maturity and growing. So point number one, God expects us to grow and mature. Uh, Verse 12, his love is brought to full expression in us. And we know in Philippians 1.6, Paul says, uh, Paul the Apostle says, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it, will perfect it, will bring it to maturity, will finish it. Those are all synonyms for that word, perfect it in you, complete it in you, uh, until the day of Jesus Christ. So what, what he's saying there is that God began something in you. Say your little kids, when God, God begins a life in them. They're little babies. Little babies don't do anything, right? Except cry and eat and poop, right? That's about it. They don't do anything. And we don't expect them to do anything. However, when they're 14, we expect a few things of them, right? To keep their room clean, to do their homework, to help out around the house, do their job, do their chores, and then have fun with the things that they enjoy doing. But there is a level, there's always expectation on people to grow. This is life. This is normal. This is called growing up. This is called maturing. It's the same way in our walk with God. People... Uh, can come to Christ spiritually. They give their life to Christ. They love Him. They trust Him. But they kind of just hover there. Some people kind of hover there for decades. I don't know if there's any in this room. I don't think so. We've got a great church here. But sometimes believers just kind of hover here. It's like the children of Israel. They came out of Egypt. God delivered them through some miracles. Remember the plagues and let my people go and all that. So they come out into the desert And did you know that Israel is only about an eight or nine day or ten day walk to the promised land? Why did they stay in the desert for 40 years? Because they disobeyed. And God said, okay, this generation, you're out of here. You're going to grow old. You're going to die in the desert. The new generation coming up, you're going to go into the promised land. God never took us out of our old life to have us wander in the desert for 40 years. He took us out of, the Bible says several times, He took us out of Egypt to take us into the promised land. He took you out of your old life, not so that you could just hover around as an immature little Christian baby, but to grow 
into the promises that he has for you, the promised land, your destiny, your future, his dream for you is greater than your dream. You think your dreams are big. His dream for you is way bigger than you can ever imagine. And God has designed you to come out of there, to go into there. That's the growing up. That's the maturing. And that's what John is talking about here. There's always a culture of increase all through the Bible, starting in Genesis with Adam and Eve. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with Abraham in Genesis 11. Through you, Abraham, all the nations of the world will be blessed. So we have an earthly goal of maturity and completeness. It doesn't mean that you're perfect. It doesn't mean you've arrived. It doesn't mean you're somebody great. It just means you're on your way. All right? Jack Hayford has a church called Church on the Way. And that's I love that description On the way to where, some people say. On the way to maturity. On the way to completion. On the way to all the promises that God has for you. So we live and we learn and we grow daily and it doesn't stop until Jesus comes back. Uh, Number two, someday we will be complete. However, uh, verse 17, as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. That word perfect. Uh, Here's the synonyms for that word to mature to finish, to be complete, to accomplish, uh, to fulfill all these things. This is an ongoing process in you, and it's not going to stop, all right, until you see Jesus face to face. So today we have something a little bit different. Uh, I've got a zillion things that are indicators or signs of a maturing believer. So sometimes you want to do, this is like a self-check test for you, all right? So we're going to see how far we get this morning on these because Thursday night I didn't quite finish them. All right? So this is characteristics of the maturing believer. I didn't say the mature believer. I said the maturing believer. That means we realize and recognize we're in a process. All right? Number one here, the battle with sin seems more and more impossible. If you are a believer, if you're a Christian, a Christ follower, you've been a Christian, maybe you grew up in the church and you accepted Jesus as a little kid and maybe, uh, you know, just you've thrived in that or you just kind of didn't do much with that, but ever, you know, you you just have this, the older you get in Christ, you're growing in Christ. Some some are seasoned saints and, and you're faithfully living for God, but this thing, this battle with sin seems more and more impossible I just want to say that this, that's a good sign. That's a good sign that you're understanding that you have a body that is fallen and it's sinful and it's condemned to die. It's going to burn. It's not going to go into heaven. You're going to get a new body. Praise God. All right. And so, uh, but this battle just seems so hard. When is this ever going to end? Paul said, the great apostle Paul said, I am the chiefest of sinners. You go, the guy who wrote half the New Testament, he's saying he's the, the, the head honcho of sinners. Seriously? Oh, he's just being religious. He's just being, you know, you know humble looking like that. No, he knew the depths of depravity of his heart. The Bible says the heart is deceitful. The world says, trust your heart. Follow your heart. The Bible says your heart is deceitful. It will trick you. It will trick you. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things. Who can understand it? Who can even know it? Until your heart's been regenerated by Christ, your heart is fallen. We, uh, this thing, we have the depths of sin. So on one side, we have our, 
our, um, our spirit that's going to commune with God and be with Him forever. On the other side is our, our flesh, and it's condemned. And this struggle is going to continue on. Paul says, who will free me from this? And then he goes, thanks be to God for His unspeakable gift, Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say, what? So shall we just sin all the more so that God's grace can... No, he goes, don't be stupid. Don't be stupid. But humbly follow him and receive the grace. Um, another sign is we have a greater concern for the lost. Lost. People that don't know Jesus. People that don't have a relationship with Jesus. We have a greater and greater concern for them. Our heart breaks for them. We pray for them. Uh, sometimes we're the first person in our family. We could have been the biggest jerk in our family, and then we get saved, and everybody goes, look who's saved now, and look at this, and, and this kind of thing. And then so you, it's hard, and then you blow up and cuss everybody out at Thanksgiving. You go, ah, all right, it's going to take another whole year to build my testimony back up. All right, and so you work on this thing, and so, but you have a concern for your family and your coworkers, and, 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 and you have a greater and greater and greater concern for the lost. Another sign is that we're more and more willing to use our gifts and talents uh, and abilities to serve others. God gave you a gift, special gift. We spent a whole year on serving. I think it was 2010. It's on our board back there, the theme for the year. God gave you a special package of giftings. That's your background. That's your natural abilities. That's the abilities the Holy Spirit gives you. That's your education, your parent, the parenting that you received, uh, the ups and downs of life molded you into the person who you are, and you are a gift to the world, and especially to the body of Christ. And the Bible says to use your gift to serve others so that God gets the glory. Many of us are tempted to use our gifts to serve ourselves. If we have a gift of business, to build up our little business empire and serve ourselves, or... or um, uh, I think it was John Dawson who said that uh, what if somebody had led John Lennon to the Lord when he was 13? He was a minstrel for his generation. He influenced a generation. What difference could it have made? Because somebody did that. Mike Pelavacci led Matt Redman to the Lord when he was 13. And Matt Redman has influenced his generation uh, with songs of worship, uh, songs to to lead people into praise. And so whatever gift you have, allow God to use that to serve others. And not the glory goes to you, but the glory goes to God. Um, uh, An authentic or maturing believer uh, sees victories over sin and bad habits once in a while. So this sin, uh, maybe when you first got saved, it was, all right, I'm getting out of this drug cartel you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop, you know, bombing the IRS or whatever sins you were doing, you know. I'm trying to think of something that I don't think anybody in here did. Uh, because the most, you know, the, the cussing, smoking, uh, uh, chewing and spitting and going with girls that do is kind of like the standard, you know. First, you get rid of those outward, easy sins and you go, oh, finally, all right, now I'm holy. I'm a holy person. No, the more dangerous part comes now because once all the outside stuff gets taken care of, the inside is far more hideous. That's what we were talking about earlier in, in this stuff, the pride and the arrogance and the, and the selfishness and all these kind of things God is working on. The great thing about God is this. When you get saved, 
he only shows you the next two or three. He might do a miracle. He might, uh, you know, I have a friend who was a hardcore alcoholic and God delivered him from alcoholism. Boom, just like that. No withdrawal, no anything, never touched it since. 40 years later, I have another friend in this church who was a heroin addict and God delivered him in one night, no, no sickness from it. And so God does miracles uh, to get us into the promised land, just like the children of Israel got into the promised land. But then God said, now you take the rest of it step by step, little by little. You go fight for the rest. Why didn't God just clear out the whole land for them? Because he wanted to learn, uh, them to learn to trust him. He wanted them to learn to rely on him and build up their faith and those kind of things, and take, be a participant. All right, They were already in the promised land. They were already saved. They were out of Egypt. They are out of their sinful. Uh, the Egypt represents your old life. They are out of that, but they needed to get this fortitude in them. And so, but if you can look back a few years and say, you know what? I'm so glad I'm not doing such and such and such and such anymore. That's not a problem anymore. But I got this now I'm working on. It. You know why? Because when you got saved, God didn't show you everything. If you did, you probably would have exploded. All right? He just gives you stuff to work on. It's usually two or three things at a time. And you get victory, and God gives you a break. Oh, that is not going to ever be a problem again. Thank God, like this. And then about two days later, he goes, okay, now I want you to work on this. He's always got something for you to work on. That's this growth process. Uh, um, A maturing believer, their focus is, is changing from pursuit of worldly pleasures and things to the pursuit of the kingdom of God. It changes. We used to pursue our dream. Now we're pursuing his dream. And like I said, his dream is way better than our dream. One of my best friends in the world, Jesse Mason, he was my pastor for years and years. He, he died uh, about three or four years ago. Uh, when he was, he grew up in Texas, and uh, I loved it if you were fortunate enough to hear his old stories. He loved to tell stories, but he grew up uh, barefoot, dirt floor, depression era, and uh, he uh, started smoking when he was six. And he said by the time he was 12, he could cuss and make a sailor blush. Uh, But he was a good athlete, and uh, he was a star uh, quarterback in high school, and he got drafted by Rice University in Texas, a big, you know, big football school. And as a freshman, he started quarterback as a freshman. That's almost unheard of. He started as a freshman and and as a sophomore and as a junior. And in the spring of his junior year, he radically met Jesus. It's a long story. And he felt God called him to give up his scholarship. The year that he would have been a senior, they won the national championship. He would have gone a totally different career path, drafted into the NFL, maybe coached. Uh, But God called him to Bible school, and he answered the call. At the end of World War II, General Douglas MacArthur called for a thousand American missionaries to go to Japan because they were ripe for, for the gospel. Have you ever heard somebody say that today? All right. He said, we need a thousand American missionaries right away because they're ripe for the gospel. As far as we know, only about 20 went. Among them was Jesse and his future wife, Claire. They didn't know each other. They met over there and got married. But I asked Jesse uh, a few years ago, I said, Jesse, do you regret giving up your full scholarship to serve God? And instantly out of his mouth, he says, not for a moment. 
Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't call people into the sports arena or into education or me- the media because we need light in, you know, all, in all these areas. Uh, but God called Jesse into ministry, and he said that dream was way better than any dream that he ever dreamed before. And so we're willing to, as believers, maturing believers, to lay down the pursuit of pleasure or comfort or whatever those things are for the kingdom. Uh, A maturing believer understands that although family is important, our greater purpose is to advance the kingdom. Your children, parents, are supposed to be a blessing for you, not a distraction from your destiny. And when God calls you, He calls your family. And when He gives you a grace to serve Him, He'll give your family a grace uh, to serve Him. And so always, always remember that. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God. Um, Jesus said, who is my mother and brother? I'm sure his mother and brother were very offended at that. Well, you're missing our birthday party because of church? Has your family ever said that to you? All right. Sometimes the kingdom is more important. Yes, your family is important. Yes, you do whatever you can. Uh, But the kingdom comes first. Uh, We're more and more willing to lay down our dreams for his dream. We have a dream, and his dream is way bigger. And this one has to do with Abraham. God gave Abraham a dream that he would be a father of many nations and that through him all the nations of the world would be blessed. So he waits 25 years for this dream to be fulfilled when his son Isaac is born. From when God prophesied over him, 25 years. Have you waited 25 years for a dream? A prophecy? Sometimes we get upset if it doesn't happen in 25 minutes. All right? He waited 25 years. Here's the dream. And now God says, take your son, your only son, and go kill him. Sacrifice. And you're going, what? What kind of God would do that? Well, we know God didn't ultimately call him to do that. God doesn't call us to, to uh, kill our children. But it was common in those areas. And Abraham said, Abraham said okay. So he takes Isaac. They go up on the hill, which uh, about 3,000, no, about 2,000 years later is the same hill where Jesus was crucified. And, and he takes Isaac up there, and God provided an alternative. He provided a ram there. And so Abraham didn't have to kill his son. And a lot of us think, well, God wanted to find out if Abraham would really obey him. All right? I don't think that's what it was at all. I think what it was was God wanted Abraham to know whether or not Abraham would obey him. God knew what Abraham would do. God knew how much Abraham loved him. Abraham didn't know. And Abraham needed to be confident in this, that yes, God, Almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, is most important here. A maturing believer has their priorities in order. You can have all kinds of priorities. You can list them all. But God says, put this one first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So write down all your priorities. Education, school, job, career, family, you know, all these things, interests, hobbies, put them all down there and you start, put them on post-it notes and put, it, put them on priorities and you make sure that the top one, God says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. A maturing believer understands more and more that our struggle, our struggle uh, is not carnal but spiritual. What does that mean? That means your struggle is not people. 
your struggle is powers and principalities, wickedness in high places. Right out of Ephesians 6, Paul said, for we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. You're not fighting against your husband or your wife or your children or your parents or your siblings or your friends. You're not, that's not your struggle. Your struggle is against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against the evil spirits in heavenly places. In other words, your struggle is not people. Your struggle is the devil and his minions who will um, seek to kill, steal, and destroy. The best way he does that is division. The best way, and this is why we ask you to pray for the eldership, please, in this church. The best way to destroy this church is to destroy the elderships, relationships, and unity. We have a healthy uh, eldership. We have a healthy church. And the best way that the devil can destroy your family is to separate mom and dad, to separate you out and and to destroy that unity because when there's unity, God commands a blessing. There's all these things. So our struggle is not people. We we identify the people because they're they're the jerks. They're the ones who hurt us. They're the ones that do all these things to us. They're the ones that we can accuse. We're probably just as bad, but we only see them because we can't see us. And you know how, how it goes. But our struggle is not people. We understand that more and more. So when you're having a a struggle with your wife, get mad at the devil, not her. Get mad because he hates you. If your parents are really tweaking you, you just get mad at the devil and begin to pray and ask God for that hedge of protection. And the next one goes hand in hand with it. Understand more and more that our weapons are not carnal, but spiritual. Because when you come against... Uh, a struggle, your weapon in the natural is your fist or something. Pow! But that's not our weapons. Our weapons are spiritual weapons. We fight the spiritual enemy, the unseen enemy, uh, with unseen weapons. And it's the name of Jesus, uh, the Word of God. And so the devil has two basic weapons. Uh, He's the liar and he's the accuser. The devil's the father of all lies. And division always starts with lies and and, and deception. That's all lying and then accusing. So when when the devil lies to you and says something untrue about you, you can say, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is the truth. The Word of God, it's the sword of the Spirit. It's a weapon against the enemy. So when he tells you something that's not true, you give him truth. He tells you you're nothing. You're no good. You're not worth anything. You can say this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And you can say that. Look in the mirror in the morning and say that every day. You are the righteousness of God because of the blood of Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's the gift of God, not of works. I didn't earn my way to relationship with God. Jesus gave me this free gift. He paid for it. So you can use that. So that's how we combat his lies. When the devil accuses you, he's usually right. And we know very well. That's why we don't need to accuse each other. There's the accuser is already accusing them. If you're going to accuse somebody and point something out, don't be the mouthpiece of the enemy, please. Um, And so the accuser, we have this weapon, 
the blood of Jesus. You can say, devil, that's right. I'm a big jerk. But Jesus died for my sin, and it's covered by the blood of Jesus, and God has declared me righteous. I didn't deserve it. He paid for it, but I am clean before him. So flee in Jesus' name. So we have these wonderful weapons that are not laser beams and hammers and, you know, machine guns. They are the word of God, the blood of Jesus, the name of Jesus, those things. A a maturing Christian is allowing God to heal their past hurts. To heal their past hurts. Everybody's been hurt. Everybody's been hurt. And by the way, everybody's done some hurting too. None of us are clean on this. In fact, I tell people regularly, people often come to the church and after you get to know them, get to know somebody, their, their hurts come out. How have they been hurt? But not once has anybody ever come through those doors and say, you know, Steve, uh, we came from several other churches. I just want you to know we were the ones that did all the hurting. Nobody's ever said that to me. Nobody's ever said that. And, um, but people have been hurt authentically. And it could be because somebody was mean. It could be because the devil used them and they became the mouthpiece of the devil. It could be any number of reasons. Uh, And people have hurts. But don't let those hurts define you. Don't let those hurts be your identity. Um, A lot of times people go through their whole life looking backwards. Say, I'm going through my life here and I'm just looking backwards. These past hurts. That's, that's a horrible way. You can't see what's ahead. Why not do what Paul said? He said, forgetting what b- lies behind, I press on. I'm going toward Jesus. He is the focus. I'm keeping my eyes fixed on him, the author and finisher of my faith. All right? Why not do that? And, and sometimes we, we live our life looking backwards at our past successes as well. And we just live. We Oh, those are the good old days. Oh, remember that? That t- touchdown I made and when I was a senior in high school, you know, like that's just your whole life. And so let's look life through, at life going forwards because God has much ahead. You can't do anything about even five seconds ago. You can't change it. You can't change the past, but you can uh, be directed uh, toward the future. And the last one here I'm going to do this morning is uh, a maturing believer is uh, learning to forgive in an instant. We learn to forgive in an instant. There is nothing in Scripture anywhere in here uh, that says that you can hold on to unforgiveness. My friend uh, Dudley Daniel used to say, you, you got 30 seconds to get over it and forgive them and move on. And then a, a year later or something, he came back and he goes, I actually apologize. You don't even have 30 seconds. You don't. Because a maturing believer knows uh, that they don't hold on to unforgiveness. As you mature, you go, not condescendingly, but you just say that's where they're at. I don't get mad at my eight-year-old because they can't drive yet. Oh, where's your skills? Where's your, you know, where's your peripheral vision and your, you know, your understanding of the dangers? And No, you just say they're not there yet, all right? And so when somebody is, hurts you, says something, in, in your mind, you can just say, listen, I'm not fighting against them, not fighting against flesh and blood. And that's where they're at today. And we're all sinners. I'm a sinner too. There, but for the grace of God, go I. 
I'm not going to hold that against them. And prayerfully, hopefully, they'll see it and they'll come and apologize. I can forgive them. But inside, I can forgive them instantly. All right? And so we don't have this thing where we can hold on to to, uh, unforgiveness. A lot of times people say, but you don't know (laughs) what that person did. You really don't. Could be a friend, business partner, robbed you blind, stole everything from you. Could be a sibling who did it. It could be uh, somebody who spoke against you and you lost a job promotion or under, undermined you. Or it, it could be something darker and more horrible. And a lot of horrible things have happened to people, but we don't want to be the ones that hold on to unforgiveness. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 18, he tells this whole story of the king who, it's just a parable. Jesus told this parable. It didn't actually happen. There was a king who was calling into account everybody who owed him money. And, and one guy owed him 10,000 talents of silver. And, and today, in today's market, it's somewhere $50, $60 million. Or maybe it's the, the buying power was way more than that. But there's millions and millions of dollars this guy owed him. And he said, uh, cast this guy into prison until he can pay me back. And the guy falls down on his knees and says, please forgive me of my debt. And the king says, okay. So the guy's forgiven of his debt. What would you do if you just got $50 million? Either you were in debt and somebody forgave it, or say you won the lottery, $50 million. Would you be like all moping around like this? So he goes out of the castle, and he sees another servant, another guy, who owed him 100 denarii. And a denarii was a Roman coin. It was a day's wage. Uh, so say, say a day's wage, 100 bucks times 100 days, 10,000 bucks. Somebody owes me 10,000 bucks. I want it. All right? So he goes, hey, where's my 10,000 bucks? And the guy goes, I can't pay it. I can't pay it. And uh, the guy goes, take him away and put him in prison, debtor's prison, until he can pay me back. And there were some people who saw what happened inside the castle, and there were some people who saw what happened outside the castle. And they went and told the king, and the king calls the guy back, and he goes, what are you doing? I forgave you $50 million worth, and you couldn't forgive some guy $10,000? What is wrong with you? Then he says to the guy, Jesus is telling, this is a whole story. The king says to the guy, throw him in prison, and now he has an extra punishment. It says, throw him in prison and turn him over to the torturers until he repays everything. And then Jesus did something that he only did two or three times in the whole New Testament. He commented on his parable. Because, you know, usually Jesus would say, here's the parable, here's the sower and the seed, and here's the dry, you know, the rocky soil, and here's the good soil, and here's the, you know, this, and and then everybody would just listen, and then Jesus would walk away. What did that mean? So that night the the apostles go, "Uh, Jesus, what did that mean? So he'd go, like this, and he'd tell them, all right? He's exasperated with them. This time when Jesus told the story about the king and the guy that forgave the debt, Jesus commented, And he said this, it's the last verse of Matthew chapter 18. He says, so shall my heavenly father do to you if you do not forgive others from your heart. Do what? Turn you over to the torturers. 
I'll tell you what, the person who did the hurting often is not the one being tortured. It's the one that has unforgiveness. They're the one being tortured and tormented. And they say a lot of, a lot of our physical ailments and illnesses come from resentment and bitterness. Because unforgiveness, if not dealt with, turns into resentment. Resentment, if you don't deal with that, it turns into bitterness. Bitterness, if you don't deal with that, it turns into hatred. Hatred, if you don't deal with that, Jesus says that is murder. All right? That will consume you. And Jesus also said the same thing. He commented on the Lord's Prayer. When they said, teach us to pray, he said, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts or trespasses as we forgive our debtors. Jesus thought, I'm going to comment on that. Uh, But deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And he goes, so shall your heavenly Father not forgive you if you don't forgive others. It's right there in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus commented twice on forgiveness. It is a big deal. We must forgive. We always, always, always forgive. That will consume us. That will ruin us more than anything else. Sometimes the other people are totally unaware of it. And God gives us a way to go deal with it. You go to them alone privately and say, do you know what you said the other day? Really, really hurt me. And um, usually people will, if you go in the right attitude, usually people go, I am so sorry. I did not mean that at all. Will you please forgive me? Sure. But if you don't deal with it, and 10 years later, that person said this. And then you say to them, well, the Bible says if you're a believer, go to them privately and deal with it. Well, if they, if they offended you, oh, they didn't offend me. Well, if they didn't offend you, why are you still bringing it up 10 years later? All right? Deal with it and move on and put it behind you. God wants you to be free. He doesn't want you to spend your life walking through a pile of honey up to your waist. Try to run a sprint like that. And this stuff will just drag you down unforgiveness, the sin in your life that God has been dealing with you and you, don't, and you refuse to deal with it in your life. It, it, you won't be effective for the kingdom. God really loves you. He really, really, really has a, a, a plan and a destiny and a dream for you that you could not possibly imagine. Some of the old revivalists said, I'm, I'm waiting and the world is waiting for one person to be fully sold out for Jesus. The world will never be the same when those people arise. I pray that there'll be more and more people from Westside that will allow that to happen. Allow God to mature in you. Allow God to complete you, to grow in you. And there's a cost to it, I know. And it doesn't matter whether you've been a believer for years and years or you're just thinking about making Jesus your Lord and Savior. Wherever you are, just keep saying yes to Jesus. Yes, Jesus, I want to move forward in you. Amen? Amen. I didn't get through all of these. I'm going to finish them in the next service. So if you really want them, you can listen to it online. We're going to post both of them online this morning. And um, so, Father, thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for each one here. I pray, God, that you would uh, put a burning within our heart, that we would want to follow hard after you, that we would desire to fill, fulfill your purposes and plans, that we our desire would be to reflect Jesus in our sphere of influence, to let our light so shine uh, um, among people that God would get the glory. 
God, thank you for this great privilege we have of following you, of serving you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Steve. Um, we're going to uh, have a time of response in a moment. We're going to sing um, another worship song. Uh, if you're a visitor with us, uh, what we do is we offer a way for communion at the end of each service, and we also offer a way to, uh, to give back to the Lord as he's prospered us. We have baskets um, up here for our tithes and our, our love gifts and our offering. Uh, simply so we, c- we can't outgive God. If you have um, a question about tithing, um, or anything, see me, I've, I've got uh, testimony about the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God when we're able to freely give as he's given to us uh, over our lives. And also, if you, if you wouldn't mind standing, if you can, before we... And if you would just, um, just maybe bow your heads and close your eyes. Now, Jesus said uh, to remember him. As often as we will. And today, as uh, Steve was preaching and as the words um, were given uh, by Terry and as the prayers went out for Paris, and as Steve talked about Jesse, um, excuse me, I'm glad Jesse didn't go to a senior year because he was deeply influential on my walk with God. And there's a cost to that, and it was Jesus dying on the cross. Because without that, without that happening, without him giving himself the power of the Holy Spirit that it was in Steve today as he preached, was in Terry, is in you, was in Jesse, we would not have that. And we can recognize that now as we, uh, as we worship him and, and be grateful for, for all that he's done and all that he's going to do. He's going to complete his work here, and that's awesome. <clears throat> Out of Jeremiah, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart I will be found by you declares the Lord Amen